0: This is Uncommon Profit. My name is Flipman Dan, reselling and side hustle expert. And each week, we interview leaders in untraditional niches making shocking income. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get it. Cairo is a South African nomad who is looking for ways to live in the big city of London while also getting by on an independent musician's budget. He had dabbled in some entrepreneurial adventures in the past, but when he stumbled across the concept of rent hacking, it shifted his life forever. In this interview, we discuss how to utilize Airbnb to make money, even renting, the pitfalls of rental arbitrage, and many tips for people looking to get into the short-term rental business. Please subscribe on Spotify or YouTube, and make sure to share this with a friend who would love to learn about ways to make an uncommon profit. And now, Cairo. Cairo, it's great to have you on, man. Thank you
1: so much, Flipman Dan. I'm excited.
0: (laughs) So Cairo, let's just start out with your background of how you kind of embody the entrepreneur spirit uh, from just hustling and and grinding and getting some some stuff done from... uh, a couple of years ago.
1: Well, I moved from South Africa to London thinking I was going to be a famous musician. And then I realized that uh, rent is very expensive in this city. So, you know, most of the other musician people I know that moved here, they end up working, you know, crazy, crazy hours in bar jobs and stuff like that, or in restaurants. And then you don't have any time to play music. So that felt kind of counterproductive. I was like, I didn't move all the way here to just be like a waiter in a restaurant. So I tried to figure out side hustles that I could do while pursuing the music. And uh, yeah, I did a whole bunch. I was a, a tour guide, I was a pub crawl company owner. Um, I did a whole bunch of these different things like copywriting for different companies and that kind of stuff. And then yeah, eventually stumbled into Airbnb helping my mom with her Airbnb in South Africa. And then, yeah, had to spend quite a bit of time figuring out how to do it in London for myself and convince landlords and, you know, get permission from the the local council, the local neighborhood and and municipality. And yeah, I did. And it's been amazing because pretty much was able to get a really good income without having to put in lots of hours. So that gave me lots of time to do my own music and to pursue other things like YouTube channels and other side hustles as well.
0: So Cairo, I know the life of a, a musician can be difficult at times. Before you jumped into the Airbnb side hustle, uh, describe your, your uh, living situation and how you kind of worked your way up into your current spot.
1: Well, actually the pub crawl side hustle was, was going really well, but I made a few bad decisions in terms of who I would work with. Um, yeah and then that ended up in kind of embezzlement a business partner stole lots of money and then that company basically went went down the tube so that was pretty depressing because i had to move out of my apartment and just like couch surf for months to be able to save up because basically all my money was tied in that company and those bank accounts got frozen and everything it was it was awful so Yeah. I went from having a pretty decent apartment to having to like couch surf and like stay at random people's houses, acquaintances, that kind of thing. Um, But I I quickly realized, okay, well, let me figure out the Airbnb thing because then I can offset my whole living expense, you know, by rent hacking or house hacking. Cause like, man, housing is the most, most expensive part of pretty much anyone's budget, whether it's a mortgage or whether it's rents and especially rents in London. Uh, especially before 2020 was just insane. People spending 60, 70, 80% of their monthly income on on rent. So I was like, i got to get rid of that. And if I can hopefully make a profit on top of whatever Airbnb stuff I do, that would be ideal. So yeah, so that's what I did. And it was a bit risky in the beginning because I had to get a loan to be able to afford, you know, to convince a landlord, I was like, okay, well, I'll pay you I'll pay you more deposit and I'll pay you a, you know, a month in advance and I'll pay you the, the last months in advance as well. That kind of thing. So that ended up being like, you know, $10,000 that I had to come up with. So I had to get like a hard money loan basically to cover that. So there was quite a lot of risk involved, but luckily it, it turned out for the best.
0: So I know rent in big American cities like New York city can be upwards of $2,000. Um, yeah. Is that something that, is in london
1: as well oh yeah for sure so the flat the first airbnb flat i got i have four now um and two of them my my fiance works on with me as well so the first flat that is they're all in central london and uh, this one is 2275 pounds so that is probably upwards of $2,500 and it's for a two bedroom apartment. So it's, it's quite steep. (laughs) And then you have to pay council taxes, utilities, all that, uh, all that stuff on top of that as well. So, and this, in this apartment, this is uh, the one that I, I kind of rent hacked. So we turned the living room into the biggest bedroom Um, for one person is fine for two people. It's a little cramped, Um, (laughs) but it, it's you have to like keep that perspective that, oh okay, it's very cramped now, but you know, we're not paying rent because basically the two other rooms completely offset the rent and make a healthy profit on top of it as well. So that's what we started with. And then from there, I was like, oh, this is really working. Let me try and find some other landlords to, you know, to do this with to scale this a little bit. It's quite hard to scale doing one landlord at a time because to convince a landlord to do this was is not the easiest of jobs um so there's lots of cold emailing lots of attempted convincing meeting them in person um try wheeling and dealing negotiating that kind of thing and uh yeah but luckily we found you know three other places that that were open to it so that was going yeah really really well until travel completely halted (laughs) in 2020 this year
0: Right. I, I know uh, you know the coronavirus economy is probably a lot worse where you're at because there was literal shutdowns of, of Airbnb and, and yeah. uh, renting and all that stuff. But before you got into the rent hacking scenario that you kind of developed for yourself, what kind of effort did it require to get these landlords to agree to these terms? And how much outreach was required for something, you know, where it isn't necessarily desirable for these landlords to allow you to do something like this.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my big advice for anyone that would be interested in doing this is, is just trying to put yourself in the landlord's position. So in a big city like New York, like LA, like London, the landlords, the landlords do have a lot of churn, you know, they have a lot of people coming and going and Every time someone leaves, you know, the landlord has to go through the process of either having an agent try and fill the room or fill the apartment um, or trying to do it themselves. And there's like quite a lot of effort involved on the landlord's behalf. So the landlord, uh, you know, they they hate vacancy. So if there's a month open or two months open, that ends up costing the landlord 2,000, 3,000, $6,000. There's a lot of money, right? So I tried to use that as, as much leverage as I could by saying, look, you know, I'm going to be having professional cleaners in, I'm going to be doing the cleaning myself. I'm vetting the guests. I'm, you know, they're coming for two or three days. They're coming to a big tourist destination. They're not going to be, they're probably not even going to be cooking that much. You know, they're probably just going to be sleeping in the apartment. So in terms of wear and tear, you'll have them actually less, uh, sorry, you'll have them using the apartment less than a regular tenant would. Um, so that, I think that kind of swayed the first landlord. And also I just had to like, I just had to be annoying and nag him really, you know, his property I thought was overvalued. I thought he was asking too much rent for it. And, um, and then he said no to me the first like four times. And then eventually I was like, okay, look, I'm going to keep calling you every week and, you know, if someone takes it at this very high rent that you're asking, fair enough, good luck. But if they don't, then let me take it. Let's try it out. Let's do like a six month trial. And, you know, if it's not worth it, if it's not worth it for you, if it's not working for you, just give me a month's notice. And then, you know, we'll, we'll shake hands and leave as friends. And uh, yeah, after I think five weeks from my first contact with that landlord, he eventually said yes. So it took over a month. To get that agreement but uh it's been worth it for him because i've been here four years now so he hasn't had any churn he hasn't had any vacancy he hasn't lost any money in that regard so it's and he's an overseas landlord i think as well so a lot of landlords in london and i would imagine in big cities um you know they want to be as hands-off as possible so he's getting a high rent he's not paying any commission to an estate agent a realtor and he's got a tenant in me That has been here for four years and, you know, hopefully when I leave this place, I'll still be able to use it for Airbnb. So he might have me for years to come,
0: hopefully. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing how you went about uh, leveraging the uh, long time that the unit was uh, up for rent to your advantage. And for someone that would try to do something similar to what you did would probably be a good idea to look out for those uh, units that maybe are overpriced uh, and that those potential tenants could get in uh, by doing the Airbnb route.
1: Yeah. I think at the moment is a really interesting time. Um, Cause if someone was interested in doing this, you know, the, the situation that we're in now with 2020 being such a mess is that, there are a lot of landlords who are kind of uncertain what the future is going to hold. They don't know, you know, I mean, in the U S there's the moratorium on evictions that's been extended for another month. Now Um, you know, some landlords are worried about their mortgage and there's the mortgage forbearance There's all these like different factors coming into account now. So it might be a pretty good time, especially in the U S to negotiate with landlords, right? Because you could say, okay, well, I'll take this. Maybe I won't pay the current, you know, anyway, the current market levels have likely dropped. I mean, I can't be certain in the U S but in, in London, for example, I mean, the, the average rent has dropped dramatically because people realize, Hey, I can work. I can work from home. I can work remotely. I don't have to necessarily be in a big city. So you can use that as leverage when negotiating with a landlord and be like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to be getting tourists in, I'm going to be getting in these short-term renters, regardless of what happens, I'm going to be paying the rent, you don't need to worry about, you know, me losing my job or any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, if you have, if you have, you know, the chutzpah to go out and and try and negotiate with some landlords, now is actually possibly a really good time.
0: So how have you used this time currently with the state of london and airbnb to maybe pivot to some other uh (laughs) ways to make money (laughs) i don't know if it it, it was completely put on halt for you but where where do you see your, your future in the business
1: well you know my business was music and was airbnb and both of those are not corona friendly that's for sure so um you know a lot of the airbnb customers we would get would either be tourists or they would be corporate travelers now again corporate travel pretty much completely halted as well so it kind of made me realize and now you see it on financial youtube channels all the time the importance of diversifying and mitigating your risk and they often talk about that in terms of like your stock portfolio or you know, get, get into real estate, get into bonds, get into crypto, get into the stock market, you know, mix, mix it all up. So if one of those has a bump in the road, you're not going to be, you know, left holding the bag. So yeah, 2020 definitely made me realize that because we went from having a very, very healthy side, side hustle income to basically having to you know, really put foot to make sure that we covered our basic expenses, because, you know, just our expenses every month with the the rent and the utilities and everything that came to 10,000 pounds a month. So when coronavirus first happened, we were like, uh, we still have to pay, I think it's, I think 10,000 pounds is like 13, maybe $14,000, you know, and that's our fixed costs. So we had to negotiate really hard with the landlords to try and you know, work together on that. And thankfully the landlords understood and they're like, okay, well, we'd rather get less money from you than you leave. And then we have no one and we have to try and find someone in these uncertain times. So the first part of 2020 was trying to arrange those discounts and those negotiations and find medium to longer term tenants, which we pretty much managed to do for most of the, the, the rooms and stuff. Um, and then I was like, all right, cool. Well, now what do i do so then i was like oh well let's get back into youtube so that's when i started a youtube channel um maybe because i'm a glutton for punishment because just like music youtube is gonna take ages before you can you know build up that groundswell of uh subscribers and uh viewers and you know make it viable to get monetized or um either through You know, Google AdSense, or through affiliates, or through brand deals, or or selling your own products or courses. So, yeah, started YouTube uh, on two channels: my music channel and uh, and mainly my kind of million dollar hustle channel. And that's uh, that's just basically documenting my journey, like trying to figure out how to, you know, how to get to a million dollars net worth. You know, I was on a good trajectory with the bar crawl, and then that went basically to zero and I'm sleeping on couches and like couch surfing. So yeah, trying to set myself one of those goals to get to a million dollars within the next three years. So we'll see what happens, (laughs) but uh, regardless of whether I make mistakes or what I learn, I'm going to put that all in video format on the YouTube channel.
0: Well, that's great for the the viewers and it's great to have a a lofty goal like that. And uh, you know, you put it out into the universe and, Only good things can happen. And hey, if you don't reach there, I mean, you know, lessons will be learned, that's for sure. So I I wanted to touch base about um, how it is living with uh, Airbnb tenants, because I I know you, you're in close quarters with them. Uh, And some people might be hesitant to to go the Airbnb route because they're unsure of what's it like to live with these people that um, I don't know who they are. What, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, when that was just me, when I was just by myself, you know, before I found my girlfriend, who's my fiance now, I think it was a lot easier. Um, one, because there, were also, there was also one less person in the apartment. So, you know, in the, in the apartment that we live in, there's two other rooms. Guests often travel in couples. So there would be six people sharing one bathroom. So regardless of whether they're guests or not, whether they're regular housemates can be a little tricky, you know, with so many people needing to use one shower, one toilet. Um, So that's that logistical element is a bit of a pain. And then also it's a big learning curve that people are coming from all over the world and they have different customs and they have different, you know, different ways of doing things. You know, for example, in like a lot of Asia, the bathroom is a wet room. So everything kind of gets wet and that's how it's designed but that is not how the bathrooms are in the uk are designed so i'd be like why is there water everywhere and it took me a while to realize because i haven't been traveling in asia that that that's that's just a cultural difference they they do things differently there so yeah it was it was, it was pretty interesting to 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 kind of gel with the different cultures and then also some sometimes people do weird stuff like <laughs> someone used my toothbrush like why 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 <laughs> why would you use my toothbrush um Gross. so that was that was that was a weird that was a weird thing like you don't want to go to your toothbrush and it's wet and it's got like yeah I'm not, no <laughs> um but the worst the worst Airbnb situations thankfully weren't when people were living with us that was when we were renting out like a whole apartment that we had a few a few weird situations there you know like people booking it and throwing a party like i made a video about this actually about how the the one flat got catfished you know um yeah it's a pretty funny video but luckily we, you know i managed to get most of that through the airbnb resolution center back because they caused a lot of damage um but overall it wasn't a terrible experience and you know if if anyone watching this is interested in you know doing airbnb the airbnb resolution center it's not insurance Um, but they are pretty helpful. And as long as you have documented everything and there's like a clear way to show what was damaged and you can find quotes for replacements or for any kind of repair work that would need to be done, you know, they're pretty reasonable in helping you out. And then you can also get third party insurance, which is a very good idea (laughs) to, to kind of mitigate any of those kind of things. And then Um, when you are directly living with guests, just by having like a clear set of guidelines and managing expectations, I think that's really important. You know, Um, that's, that's kind of the main thing I try and do because this flat, for example, it's, is a good flat, you know, but if people are leaving five-star reviews, which every Airbnb host strives for, because if you don't get the five-star reviews, Airbnb basically thinks you failed So it's like you get five stars, which is pass, and four stars, which is fail. So that's kind of a a very high pressure system to be in because the guest doesn't realize that. So the guest might've had a great time and they give you a four star because they just don't love London that much. And you're like, ah, that means I failed. Um, So trying to manage their expectations that they're not coming to a five star, you know, four seasons hotel. They're coming to a five-star shared accommodation Airbnb. And I think that, especially when starting out with Airbnb, being able to manage those expectations will save you loads of heartbreak, loads of heartache, and loads of, you know, angry messages that you have to diffuse.
0: Wow. So manage expectations. You know, you're yeah. going to be sharing your bathroom potentially with six people. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So what other lessons have you learned over uh, the years of this Airbnb experience?
1: Well, I learned how to like make beds like an absolute champion. Um, (laughs) But the first while when I just had the one apartment, you know, I was making all the beds, doing all the cleaning and I ain't got time for that. So, you know, being able to delegate and, you know, hire other people to do the jobs that you don't no longer have time for. You know, when I wasn't earning any money, it made more sense for me to do the cleaning than to pay someone else the cleaning fee. It just made more sense. But same with YouTube, right? Like At some point, as YouTubers get bigger and bigger, they might hire hire out a manager or someone to source brand deals or an editor or someone to help with, uh, I don't know, research or scripting. They might do that because at some point, their time uh, becomes too valuable and they just don't have enough of it. So yeah, hiring the cleaners was really, really helpful. Um, And also trying, and figuring out, you know, how to, how to do the pricing, how to talk to guests, lots of customer service, and not only how to talk to the guests, if there was an issue, but also how to talk to, you know, the Airbnb team, the resolution team, because this is often a team that is in, I don't know, in the Philippines or, or in a different country, they're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of like, Open complaints every day, and you know once or twice, like I would be very angry or very annoyed or very frustrated, and I had to be very careful not to take that out on the poor, you know, Airbnb support worker who's just doing their job. They're not invested in anything, you know, they they don't know exactly what happened. So so those were some big lessons, I'd say, you know, how to deal with the guests, how to deal with the customer service aspect of everything, um, how to delegate properly. And also in terms of cleaners, like you know, we don't have enough scale to hire someone full time, because you need quite a lot of Airbnb apartments, and even in that, there's a lot of risk. Because if you hire one full time staff member and they get sick, what do you do? Especially like we were traveling a lot, or I travel for music, I'm not in the country, I can't go do the cleaning, and you don't want to have to find last minute, you know, someone on on Craigslist or something to do the cleaning for you. You know, that's like too risky. So you kind of need to have part-time workers and enough to enough of those part-time workers to be able to fill in for someone. You need to make sure each of those cleaners is getting enough business from you. Otherwise, you know, they're just not going to stick around for a clean every third week, something like that. So yeah, juggling that kind of stuff and figuring out what processes and systems were put in place to make sure that it worked as efficiently as possible and that there weren't any mistakes Um, yeah, that was crucial. I mean, just on that note, like the one time the cleaner was, we used this app to, to connect the cleaner to the job and it didn't come through or she hadn't updated the app or I don't know what the reasoning was, but she was an hour late. And that meant the guest arrived before the cleaner did. And obviously the flat's dirty. And this is a 3000 pound booking. So let's say $3,500 booking. right. Uh, over New Year's, for like quite a long period of time, the guests just like lost their stuff, was completely unreasonable, wouldn't listen to anything, even though I offered like to give them a part refund and to like buy them coffees and all that kind of stuff while they waited for the cleaner, they wouldn't have any of it. So just that one tiny mistake, I mean, Airbnb gave them their money back straight away, I lost $3,500 because of a tiny little glitch, either the cleaner or the app or something like that, so trying to minimize those errors is very key.
0: (laughs) Wow, yeah, just being prepared and, you know, if it can go wrong, it will, it seems, uh, in this industry as well as many others. So, uh, I mean, all of these are amazing tips for someone looking to get into the Airbnb business. Um, And it's really great of you to be reaching for that, uh, you know, million dollar mark. What do you see the future uh, look like, looking like, in the next couple of years, for you to get to that mark.
1: Uh, well, kind of at the, towards the end of 2019, I was I was thinking, okay, well, it's it's pretty difficult to scale just one landlord at a time. Uh, so I was looking at the bigger companies that were doing kind of five year leases. You know, they would lease a ten unit block up to a 200 unit block of apartments, and then have the entire block serviced accommodation. So whether that's catering to corporates or whether it's catering to to the tourist market. Uh, So I was trying to like start working on that. I was trying to get funding. I was trying to, you know, write business plans and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's not the easiest time to get um, (laughs) investor funding for travel related stuff at the moment. So that's on hold, but that would, you know, that would potentially be a good way to get towards that million dollar market, especially if you start scaling, you know, with far more apartments, you know, at one point at the best time, I'm happy to share numbers because that's what, when I watch YouTube about finance, I'm like, I love it when they share the the grit, you know? So I made more in detail videos about the the finances of everything on my channel, but the best months we had were like $14,000 profit months. You know, that's after paying everyone, obviously before tax and stuff and, the amount of work that we were doing in those months was probably like maximum two hours a week. So, you know, $14,000 for eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours a month. You know, I'll take that. It's pretty, pretty great. So in terms of scaling that to that's from four apartments. So if you scale that to 40 apartments or a hundred apartments, uh, can be incredible, but we'll just have to wait and see what happens with the whole world and travel and everything before, before that can, can happen and um, so other things that I do I I started working at a a music marketing company freelancing there getting some of my own marketing clients because I've been doing marketing for a while now you know helping e-commerce brands with their Facebook ads and and that kind of stuff writing newsletters or writing email copy and that kind of stuff Um, and then the YouTube channel you know I'm sure you can attest Dan that it's with your video production background that a newbie starting out with video is like, they think, Oh, look, it's so easy to make these YouTube videos. But uh, yeah, hundreds
0: of hours later, you're like,
1: okay, I can finally press post. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, not as easy as uh, pressing record and then out pops a finished video. Unfortunately.
1: Not yet. Maybe AI, right? Maybe AI can help us with that.
0: Coming soon. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, Thanks so much for, for sharing all this, this knowledge Cairo and uh, um, you know, any final thoughts for the audience uh, looking into either side hustles or making a a profit uh, in an entrepreneurial way.
1: Well, I made a video about couch flipping actually, because I did that a few times in London. It's a little trickier here because there's lots of apartment blocks. I don't have a car renting trucks and stuff is is still really expensive in this city um but in the u.s it seems far more it it seems like the economics of it in the u.s make a lot more sense you know especially with like garage sales like you you, that you're like the wizard of and stuff like that so maybe start off with something like that start off with something small i mean with airbnbs there it's not free to start you do need to get the month at least one month's deposit usually probably a six week deposit first month's rent in advance. So it is quite a few thousand dollars to get started with it. Um, So any YouTube video that's saying to you, Oh, get started, Airbnb for free. It's it's not really true. You need to have those deposits or you have to convince the landlord to do a profit share. Um, But that's less, I I don't know. In my experience, landlords are less excited about that because they're like, okay, so if you do a bad job, I get less money than if I just rent the flat out on the regular market. that doesn't sound great to me unless the landlord is like okay but if you do well i'll make you know far more money a lot of landlords are more risk averse they want to get their kind of average yield right so maybe starting like uh you know starting like couch flipping try it out for a week or try garage sale flipping like like you know you're the pro of right and just see if that kind of hustle interests you and then you can always take that money put it to one side uh, to start a slightly more intensive side hustle like Airbnb stuff. Um, the counterpoint to that is that if you are living in a, let's say you're living in a two bedroom or three bedroom, it also depends on your age and your where you are in life as well. You know, if you're married with kids, maybe you don't want random Airbnb people coming into your house, right? But uh, it could work well instead of having regular housemates you know maybe you've just started to enter the job market and uh you can try and get those housemates instead of having housemates who are paying a third of your rent let's say you've got three rooms you can be doing that on airbnb you'll probably have more of the flats yourself and you'll most likely depending on where you are cover more of the rent that you would have gotten from those housemates so that's like the easier way to get started with Airbnb rather than trying to find landlords and start all from scratch. You know, it might be easier to get your already existing landlord to, uh, to agree to something like this. Cause you have that built up relationship already.
0: Awesome. Well, Cairo, I just want to uh, acknowledge you uh, for being a gritty entrepreneur and I wish you the best of success. Uh, again, we can uh, find you at life of Cairo and uh thanks for coming out and talking
1: man thanks so much i can't wait for our interview where i grill you about the garage sale
0: (laughs) coming up soon let's
1: do it thank you so much dan